Hello, everybody. Welcome to the No Breaking Podcast. I have with me another intrepid interviewee, I will say. This time he comes from a bit more of a design background. Tylish Rest, who I've obviously pronouncing his name as best the way I could pronounce it, but he's told me that everyone pronounces it terribly. So hopefully I'm in good stead with that. Tyler, thank you firstly so much for taking the time today to come out. I really, really appreciate it. I really appreciate having the opportunity to be here. And yeah, I think you did a spectacular job pronouncing my name. Um, oh, that's very kind of you. Yeah, it was good. So Tyler, so tell me, um, what is it that you do? What's your title, shall we say, to get, jump into this? So my, my title, what I do during the day, I'm a senior designer for Hot Wheels at okay. Mattel. Okay. So... If we take a step back then and we talk about like your passion for cars and, and, and the automotive side and bikes, since I know you ride as well, yeah. how did that sort of all kick off and how did that get started? You know, so when I think about it, I'm not entirely sure. It's, it's a weird path. As a kid, uh, I was always gra- gravitating towards like Speed TV and mm-hmm. right watching MotoGP and Formula One and this type of uh, vehicular seed was planted early on. Yep. Um, almost by mistake. Okay. Right? Cause I hadn't, I didn't have cable growing up. So I just had, uh, my father had a few channels, so I would go to see him and I would just kind of gravitate towards speed. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was young. I was probably what, five, six, seven. And then as I grew right and grew up, uh, drawing was always a thing. Uh, Hot rods, or as a kid, like you get Fast and the Furious and all this type of thing, mm-hmm. and uh, I figured that over time I, I started to get this idea, like, oh, I can combine these two things into one, into one career, if okay. you will. Yeah. Um, but really, but I didn't come up to that conclusion until I was probably twenty. Okay. You know, I didn't realize that. Sure. So when you were doing all your drawing and stuff, was it still focused primarily on cars and the automotive and bike side? Or was it just drawing in general or creativity in general? Or what was the, the scope on that front? It was drawing in general. Okay. Uh, and uh, as I started to work, getting more into like the hot rod field when I was in my later teens, mm-hmm. I started to to be introduced to people that were drawing cars. Okay. And, and starting to design. But prior to that, it was all like character art, concept art, uh, still life, just really like your standard training on how to see. Yep. And that's where that started. So where were you doing that then to go through that training then back when you were a teenager before you sort of made this decision like in your early 20s to go down this way? So I'd say I was really lucky. Well, lucky in, in many ways in that when I was a very young kid before art class was really anything in school like you know you're doing i can't remember what you did in art class in third grade but you made generally made pottery and then it explode in the kiln that's always what i remember yeah someone would always explode and take everyone's mostly everyone's out with it yeah yeah i mean that's basically a given right yeah but pretty much right so, so that wasn't super helpful no Right. Uh, it was just exploding. Yeah. Or they'd make something that was truly hideous that you give to your parents and have to put it up somewhere for a number of years. Yeah. I think I had a few of those laying around, actually. And I need to follow up with my mother and see what she did with those. <laughs> uh, I think she hoped I forgot about those the until this piece moment. Of concept art. Yeah. yeah. You're going to go back and be like, Mom, this could be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars now. Yeah. She's going to be disappointed. I think she threw them out because they were probably terrible. Yeah. 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 But that's it. Yeah, I mean, that's like third grade art, right? Yeah. Right. So a long. At around the same time, 
my mother had like art artist friends okay. uh, and tattoo artists, okay. and they were able to point me in a direction where they were like extracurricular kind of uh, art classes. Mm-hmm. So I started doing like draw the sunflower, uh, draw draw the vase outside of school. Yep. And then in high school, right? This is another part of the fortunate moment of of when I went to school. I don't know what the arts look like in school these days but we had a pretty robust we had, like quality teachers mm-hmm. in my high school and so where can i ask where you went to high school so i went to uh arlington high school and it's lagrange but uh poughkeepsie new york okay all right uh big school a lot of kids so there was a decent amount of talent mm-hmm. uh and i guess kind of competition so th- so that was good yeah so that so between high school having this inspiration from like tattoo artists that had gone to Pratt and other design schools where they were just really good concept artists and they could draw anything. Mm-hmm. So I had that exposure to them and, and I was able to learn this guy's his name was Luke. I want to say, I forget his last name. Uh, starts with an M, but uh, Luke Mirsch. He would help me and kind of coach me along the way. And as I was, you know, this is, uh, middle school years through high school, yeah, uh, as well as doing these extracurricular sorts of things. So, was this happening at the t- t- tattoo shop while you were doing all this? Uh, some of it was. So, I like it. You feel like, look, guys, I can't hang out today. Just got to head over to the tattoo shop after school and just uh, that's what I'm doing. Yeah, tattoos. So, yeah, it was an interesting world. Yeah, uh, no, I like it. I like the idea that you could brag about that and be like, can't hang out with you tonight, guys. Could go to the tattoo shop when you're in middle school. Yeah. I wish it was that cool. Uh, <laughs> so, so it worked out. So my mother had a gift shop. Mm-hmm. And so the tattoo shop was right next door. Oh, okay. That's... <laughs> and, yeah. I don't know if I told many people about it. I don't think people got it. Or, but like, now you can. Looking back, you're like, look, I grew up middle school. Just head out to the tattoo shop after school. Oh, yeah. That was it totally the whole time. I was already... I was getting... I was inked up when I was... That was it. Me and the bikers that just yeah. asked me some look, I want the kid. We were hanging out. Just give me the kid. I need him to do my latest <laughs> piece of work. You get some funny people at tattoo shops. Look, uh, I think that's a whole different podcast altogether, a different show. <laughs> look, I watch enough episodes of Ink Master to know the kinds of people that hang out at tattoo shops. Yeah. And you get a lot of really talented artists. Mm-hmm. Very talented. So, again, lucky... In, in that regard that I was had that exposure mm-hmm. and probably around that same time I started to right so I started working at a hot rod shop mm-hmm. as well when okay. I was 16 uh, I think it was like 15 16 I just got my license I was like oh uh, I want to learn how to build hot rods and and I thought I was going to that was my mission at that time is uh, I don't want to do the corporate thing uh, I want to like build hot rods because mm-hmm. that scene, like the tattoo scene, kind of blended and melded really closely and well with this hot rod scene. Of course. So I kind of naturally gravitated towards that. I started to learn that craft, and then became introduced to this automotive kind of art. Mm-hmm. So then I would bring that these questions back to to Luke and these uh, tattoo folks and say, okay, well, how do I draw? like vehicles and things that have wheels or things that don't like spaceships and whatever. Mm-hmm. And that was a little bit outside of their realm of expertise, Yeah, but they were able to start giving me pointers. Like, mm-hmm. like that was probably the beginning training that I started to get in design thinking Yeah, in being able to pull inspiration from, uh, n- nature. Yeah. 
into art. So if you want to create something entirely new, maybe we start with an insect, right? Okay. So then see, all right, look how this insect can evolve into becoming this kind of spaceship or mm -hmm. something more vehicular. Yeah. Uh, and they started to teach me about proportions. And all right, so you have a spaceship that's massive versus a spaceship that's smaller. How do you delineate the two? What are the how do we start to give visual cues about how things are in space, mm -hmm. not outer space, but like in just as they exist? How do you, how can you give people an idea of what type of dimensions they're looking at? Yeah. So that's probably where like my design training actually started. Mm -hmm. And then an interrupt if, if you need at any point, if there's something that doesn't make sense or you want no, to make No, no, it certainly works good. Uh, so I'm in the hot rod shop and I'm thinking that I was going to go to Wyotech. Okay. Uh, or, or Wyotech or UTI were the two schools that taught like uh, fabrication for yeah. sport tuning and hot rod and all and this type good of things. facilities and they've got experts training there and you get to work on lots of different things. They were spectacular. Yeah. Um, and I ended up not going because when I was 19, so I was, I was essentially signed up for UTI. I was like, all right, I'm going. This is what I'm, this is what I'm going to do after school. Yeah. Um, but I, so I crashed my, my motorcycle when I was 19 and put me in the hospital for three months. And Which is not ideal. No, it was not ideal. Definitely not suggest anyone crash their motorcycle. Yeah, highly do not recommend. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, not great. No, it wasn't spectacular. But... At that time, I realized, oh, well, maybe doing this type of physical work long term when I'm, you know, my age now or when I'm 40, 50, 60, that moment I felt changed my trajectory. Okay. Um, and I'm glad that I had the self-awareness to kind of think of that and yeah. say, oh, being on my knees or using, contorting myself or whatever Look, isn't going to work. Let's just say laying on your back on a cement floor underneath a car is not ideal no matter what temperature it is, right? Generally. For long periods of time. For, for long periods of time. It's not ideal. But sometimes it is the means to the end that is desirable. Yes. I mean, exactly. That's why at this point in my career, I like to suggest, look, I'm very good at being able to tell jokes while that person is underneath the car. <laughs> Hopefully so they don't hit their head. <laughs> and then I can always pass them something, generally the wrong thing. Or at the end of the day, I can get them a cold beer and make that's the best thing I can do. Uh, I like the, the way that you've placed yourself in that scenario. Mm -hmm. um, that works. Yeah. See, that's I'm very comfortable in that zone. Right. <laughs> and that's, that's what I feel I'm good at. Yeah. No, it's good to know where our zones are and to, you know, maybe we can flirt with the edges of the zone. Oh, yeah. Sometimes, I mean, I might want to change a light bulb and they'll be like, oh, it's dangerous. Yeah, don't do it. Yeah, but don't then I will it. step out there and be like, gosh, you know what? YouTube. I can do everything now. I tell you what, YouTube has been super useful Look, for so many things. I mean, I will say that person asked to do the brain surgery on them didn't turn out as well as I'd hoped. But, but it was trial and error. It was. It was. Yeah. I mean, I had to drill three holes, but we got there in the end. You had to drill three. Uh, yeah, that's okay. I mean, it's it was okay. releasing some pressure. Yeah. First one didn't work. Wasn't right. Second, no. That wasn't very good. Then the third, boom, right there. Fixed. But yeah, but now they have added ventilation. Exactly. Right, so it's long-term. And since I just read this week, it's basically like, they're basically a Tyrannosaurus Rex now with air conditioning in their heads. <laughs> that's, an, that's an upgrade. Exactly. Yeah. That's the future. Right. <laughs> YouTube leads the future. Exactly. So anyway, digressing from my YouTube, could it, uh, you had making this change to said, look, I don't want to go down the UTI route. I want to go more the design route, I'm guessing. Yeah. So I, I don't know 
I mean, it might have been Chip Foose. Okay. Right? So at, at that time, there like Rides was on TV. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'd seen a couple episodes, and I be, and it introduced me to Art Center mm-hmm. was the name of the school that he went to. And I was like, oh, that that's interesting, right? So I've always been pretty curious about things. Like, okay, well, well, what? He's doing cool things um, as an output, right? These cool vehicles and this type yeah. of thing. So Art Center was kind of where that path began for him. Mm-hmm. So I started to do research. Uh, and this time I was I was 19. I, might, I don't know if I was still in the hospital or not. I might have just come out of the hospital. Or I might have started doing some of this research prior, like a little bit prior. Mm-hmm. And so that led me to finding there was Art Center and then there was the College for Creative Studies, uh, which is in Detroit. Mm-hmm. And those are the two. And, and now there's the Cleveland Institute of Art, obviously in Cleveland, and there's maybe, uh, I want to say, there's another one here on the West Coast that's starting to do some more automotive work. Uh, Academy of Art, San Francisco, maybe. I, apologies to anybody that goes to that school that I can't recall. Mm-hmm. Um, but so for me, uh, I realized, all right, so there's Art Center and there's College for Creative Studies. At the moment, I'm in New York, so I figured uh, since these two schools are comparable, Detroit's a shorter drive. Yeah. So I went to a community college uh, in Poughkeepsie for like a year and a half mm-hmm. and right, built a portfolio, got some of my you know, math and English credits out of the way, which I highly recommend for anybody that's going to any kind of school at this point is if you can get that, those credits for uh, a reduced cost, mm-hmm. but it's still at a high quality, do that, right? Yeah, because saving pennies is always handy, right? A hundred percent. Sometimes these college educations can be kind of expensive. They can be very expensive. And if you're learning something that gives you a skill that you'll use, mm-hmm. they're worth it. Yeah, super practical. Yeah, it can be. But some people, some certain trades are, are not trades and, and are maybe less useful. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't give any examples because I don't know. That's... Touchy I don't want to get any irate, custom, any irate DMs coming through here saying, well, actually, Tyler. Well, actually, right. Uh, but uh, where was I going with that? Oh, so I built a portfolio. Yeah. Submitted to College for Creative Studies and was accepted. And so that was the one. So how much, how much work would you say went into your portfolio before? Just to touch on that. Uh, a full year of art classes. Okay. Yeah. Right, uh, so in a full year is really two semesters at a community college. Mm-hmm. Um, had I planned ahead, if I had known sooner, yep. what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. I could have done that in high school. Uh, and there are, as I found out when I went to CCS, which is the College of Creative Studies, there are specific high schools that are art high schools, right? So there's one in North Carolina, mm-hmm. there's one in Miami, yep. called Dash, which mm-hmm. is really good, and they get a lot of uh, uh, high quality skills or a high quality talent that comes right out of high school. Yep. So there are options if you know a little bit sooner what you want to do. If you don't, take the time, whether it's the year or two years, to get your skill levels uh, as high as you can prior mm-hmm. to going to school. Yep. For a little bit of texture, the average age of incoming students at Art Center is 26. Yeah, which is a little bit older. It's a little bit older, right? At CCS, it was... Uh, early 20s mm-hmm. right so it's that couple of extra years not not that there aren't there were a ton of people that came right out of high school right but there were also as many that were 
a little bit older that took the time so, yeah. or needed some extra time to develop. Mm -hmm. Submitted, was about to go to school. I was 21, crashed my second motorcycle, right? <laughs> like two weeks before I was supposed to go to school. So you're telling me that you took everything from the first accident mm -hmm. and you're like, you know what? I got this. Right. Hold, hold my bag. Right. I got this. Watch this. Oh, you don't think I can do it twice? Watch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Watch this. Yeah. Yeah. So that set me back again. Uh, so I ended up not going to school until I was 22. Okay. But the whole time I was selling, selling cars mm -hmm. at the same time. So I was learning that skill set. Yeah. Which is super important. Uh, which uh, I'll add to right, any anybody that's interested in the design field. You've got to sell, sell, sell. Right. You've got to pitch your ideas. You have to be able to communicate why your idea works, why it makes sense, and that's super important. If you can't, you're at a disadvantage. Yeah, because it's not like at these. Obviously, at anywhere you go for design, you're the only. It's very rare that you're the only person there, right? Yeah. There's always going to be some competition yeah. of sorts, or you going against someone internally or externally mm -hmm. in regards to putting ideas forward. So being able to sell certainly help, right? Uh, oh, absolutely, right. And it, and I think as you evolve in your career as well, that skill set becomes that much more important, right? Because the ideas become bigger and more important, mm -hmm. and require more investment, and you need to build more trust in these people that are investing in these ideas, whether they're it costs. I want to think it's a billion dollars to stamp the tools for yeah. a new vehicle. Yeah, just kind of pricey, right? It's kind of pricey. Not not to produce them, just to create the tools. Yeah. So you've got to be able to sell. You have to build trust. Super important. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So then I at twenty two, I took off to to Detroit, and then it all it all started from there. So how long we were to we were over there in Detroit for? So I went to school. So it's a four year program. Mm -hmm. I did uh, four and a half years. I took. I had a minor, so I wanted to finish the minor, mm -hmm. uh, minor in illustration. And so a total of four and a half years, and I ended up living in Detroit for about five. I interned afterwards. Or, so where did you head out then after college? Then. So when I was in my junior year, uh, I interned at Mattel, mm -hmm. right, for the Hot Wheels brand. I came back, finished school. Then after school, I interned with Toyota Boshoku in Novi, Michigan, Okay, which is maybe 25 minutes outside of Detroit, mm -hmm. uh, and worked there doing uh, interiors, right, seating components for Toyota vehicles. Mm -hmm. uh, ton of fun, great experience uh, afterwards. Uh, and that was maybe three months. It was a pretty short internship. Uh, did my student show and then linked up with the guys back at Hot Wheels again and then drove cross country to, right to L.A. You're like, you know what? I've had enough of these Detroit winters. I've had enough of these New York winters. Mm -hmm. I need some of that L.A. sunshine. Yeah, it was Detroit. I was in Detroit in a funny time, like right through bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. So they were, I think it was a month almost a complete month of like sub freezing or close to zero or something like that. And it was snowing and they weren't plowing because there was no money. Yeah. It, there were potholes that could absorb cars. It was mayhem and it was really fun at the same time. Look, I've seen Robocop. I know what it's like. Yeah. Yeah. It's just Robocop in the snow, right? It was Robocop in the snow. Basically. Legitimately. Yeah. It, it was the wild, wild west. People were breaking down, jumping out of their cars on the highways, leaving cars in the snow. It was it was an interesting experience. And then you come here to Mattel and Hot Wheels. Yeah. And Elsa Gundo's not quite like 
that. So it's a little bit sunnier. A little bit more consistently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you'd say that. Probably. Yeah, probably a few more seventy and eighty degree days. Just a handful in a row. I should say in in a row. Yeah. So then, what was your first role? Well, then at Hot Wheels when you came across the first role. Yeah. So I came in as as an associate designer, mm-hmm. and it was really just being the sketch hand for all all these products. So I was doing basic cars for the basics line, cars for the entertainment lines, right? Character cars, and that's this type of thing. And that was my main focus. Okay. So can you talk a little bit about the design process then for Hot Wheels? Do you, I guess do it on like the basic line and then talk about the, the character line and how these come across and work yeah, together? Yeah, for sure. So for the basics line, it's the design process is generally uh, the same as it is through school, okay. right? Where it's this kind of tr- uh, the traditional design processes are we find a, well, for Hot Wheels, maybe it's a little bit different because we have a segment where we say, all right, we need this type of car. Okay. Right? So let's just say it's an SUV, mm-hmm. okay, or, or a truck of some sort. So once we identify the type of vehicle that we're going for, then we find, all right, so what's the aesthetic that we're going for? Um, what do we find inspiration images? Um, and that can be from nature, from other products that exist in, in snippets, um, uh, architecture is, is a good place to pull inspiration from not necessarily sometimes aesthetically but oftentimes philosophically yeah architecture they think about that at a really high level so it's a good place to study mm-hmm. um, so we put together inspiration boards and then we start doing form explorations right so uh, we know that it ultimately wants to be a truck but we want to find some new form languages or, or, or an exciting form something that's interesting yeah and, and with Hot Wheels so some brands, let's say uh, Nissan, they have a design language, right? So you have certain body lines that they might need to carry through mm-hmm. or certain uh, headlight shapes or something like this. With Hot Wheels, we're not, we don't have a specific body line that we need to carry through or certain headlights that we have to use or, or certain graphic details. But it, what we do need to capture is uh, the essence of what a Hot Wheels car is okay. right. We need to capture the spirit. Yeah. So while we're developing different forms uh, and starting to kind of refine, we're looking at okay. So which one is um, new, right? It, how how fresh is it? Mm-hmm. And does it have that aggressive stance, that kind of tuner spirit mm-hmm. that the Hot Wheels really uh, capitalizes on right or that that that's part of their brand heritage and their dna and that yeah that that essence that that edge which is kind of uh nebulous but when you see it you know it um so as we're going through the the, the design process and developing forms we kind of start to hone in oh this feels right right the stance is right the forms are right um it's right for the segment and then then we start to build a digital model, mm-hmm. right? So we build a digital model, or, or we work with digital modelers. Um, some of us on the team can do it ourselves to a certain level, but we also have a team of modelers that helps us to refine and really tune things up. Yeah. And then once that's right, so if we're working with a licensor, let's say Dodge or in the entertainment line Disney, we. We'll submit the final sculpts to them just mm-hmm. to get approval, feedback, anything like that. And then once it's approved, 
we we send it off to our plants and we go through the engineering process to break it up and create yeah. the tools. And hopefully they don't the the pressing plants don't cost a billion dollars for your vehicles. No, they don't cost a billion. But they, it's still probably expensive. Yeah, they're still <laughs> just still a, a little bit less, half maybe three quarters of a billion, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you know, not quite, not quite. Not I'm quite. assuming scales, right? Cars a little bit bigger. Couple is a little bit smaller sometimes. Yeah, so one sixty fourth scale, so maybe it's one sixty fourth of a billion. billion. Yeah, you know? that's a good. I think it's a good. Sounds reference. about. I don't know if that's accurate, but it sounds good. Yeah, it's perfect. Exactly. I uh, look statistics, right? Yeah, I color. I don't. I don't do math a whole lot. Yeah, I mean, you did it back in college to get the credits, but after that's like, no, I'm leaving it behind. Yeah, leaving it behind. Which coming back to like things designers should should think about. The business side is super important. Right, so having not poo pooing the numbers completely, mm-hmm. it can be an advantage. Okay. As as an individual goes through the the ranks of any company, right? That's design led or whatever. At a certain point, you need to also have an understanding of the business side of it as well, mm-hmm. right? Because then you need to have these brilliant design ideas, but you need to be able to. Also, it's it's a benefit if you can also say, all right, and here's how we're going to bring this to market. Here's how we're going to put this in front of people, and here's how I know that we can afford to do it. Yeah. So that is an important skill that most artists and designers despise. But it's a necessity, I guess. It can be an asset if you if you choose to be intentional about it. Ah. And so then, with that being the case, which do you uh, which models do you enjoy creating then? The ones that you do. What do you have the most fun or the most reward from doing? As far as the the lines that I work on? Yeah. So I think, well, they're, they're all rewarding in different ways. So, so I'm guessing for the, for example, the licensed ones, you don't mm-hmm. obviously have too much of a, you can't take a, for example, like a Dodge or a Nissan or whatever. You can't change it because it's the license. You have to follow it. So, But I imagine it would still be a pleasure to be able to work on that and say, well, I got this down to 64 scale. Yeah, so there's different. Uh, so let's say I work in a licensed car. Like I recently did the Alpine A110. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a process for bringing that down to scale, and it wasn't super complicated or you know super complex and design heavy. Yeah, but but it was a different process. Mm-hmm. And when that goes to market, it might actually be on market now. If not, it will be soon. Uh, people will resonate with that car. And then, you know, so we have a couple guys that do mostly Hondas, right? So the fans love them because they love Hondas. And yeah. they associate, you know, uh, these designers with with Hondas. So there's that satisfaction that you get to connect with people mm-hmm. around the type of vehicle that it is. Yeah. So that's one. So I, I do appreciate that. And so that's one facet of it. From a creative, from the more creative facet, I appreciate doing doing more of the whether it's basic car or character car something that is more like your own birth, yeah. uh, your creative birth. Because I was gonna say yeah, because that's where you get to get your creative things shine, right? Exactly. So, which are some of the ones that you've really enjoyed in the on that side of that that you've created or put together? One of my so one of the first ones that I that I created was um, the Checo Perez car. Right, so Checo Perez, the the Formula One racer, mm-hmm. we did a design by project. So we had a chance to connect with Checo, um, Sergio Perez, and and get an idea for the types of things that he liked and enjoyed, and 
um, you know, who he was as a person or who he is as a person, right? And then, so I ended up creating a story about this future race and uh, created a vehicle for that race. And it ended up being like, you know, an an F1 inspired aircraft inspired vehicle. Yeah. Which was sent to him. He approved it. He loved it. And so then that went to market and there was a, all kinds of backing behind it designed by Sergio. And so that was a lot of fun uh, to be able to work with somebody like that mm-hmm. and to create something that, that they thought is cool. Um, so that was, that's one of my first and one of my favorites. Uh, recently I did uh, a vehicle. Uh, I forget what its name is. Uh, Moto, Moto Wing is yeah. the name. Mm-hmm. It's I think it came out relatively recently. So it's this kind of brutal looking, it's a, a CB750. So the story that I created for it, I keep hitting the mic. The story that I created for it was that there's a future, a dystopian future in Japan. And there's this, uh, this girl, her name is Jiro. And she's got this CB750. It's a, like a 70s, I forget what year I decided that it was. And she's, you know, running around town. But now there's this new, there's this new race in town, but you have to have four wheels to compete. Okay. But she doesn't have a four-wheel car. So she ends up finding a an abandoned airplane hangar that had a uh, a warship or, or a warplane from World War II. So she's able to mm-hmm. start taking apart that plane. And she finds four wheels and she uses the the plane parts to create batteries and, you know, aero, aerodynamic uh, – air quotes here – uh, aerodynamic elements um, so it became this motorcycle combined with airplane parts with this massive wing kind of running right through the center of it yeah so that was fun it was just uh, a, an uh, an exercise in creative storytelling mm-hmm. that led to this unexpected or non-intuitive output Interesting. I will say that, and there's a complete side note here, but something I came across this week, thanks to the magic of the internet, mm. was in the 1930s in Australia. They took chariot racing to a different stretch by having the chariot placed behind two motorcycles. And the rider, I guess, would then steer the motorcycles what? from behind the chariot and they'd race. That's gnarly. And they need to bring that back. Whatever I think, that that is a sport that I would happily want to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean... How did they steer the bikes? Were there people on them? No, so it was basically the the bikes were tied together and they had the, like, reins on the bikes. Oh, my God. The the reins to go left because it was just circle racing, basically. Yeah. Like chariots, obviously. But, I mean, it was, like, insane. I was like, that is the greatest thing ever. That is the greatest thing ever. That is the greatest thing I'd seen since uh, Donk uh, drag racing. Well, that's a whole different thing. Yeah, but I mean, you only see things, these things come across once every six months. I'm like, they need to bring this back. True. That sounds like more dangerous than like board track racing, but with more bikes and that means more cool. Yeah. I mean, look, it's all, that was just your, your... Your Japanese heroine, those Lincoln, look, the four wheels, that's the way to go with racing. That's actually a pretty wild idea. And thank you for sharing that, because I, uh, I think that could be, that might be a Hot Wheels thing. Look, I like it. Yeah, that right. could be cool. So, and then, how does it feel then from, like, 
seeing it going through what's the timeline sort of thing for things these going through from this, the concept the idea of creating like a character one mm-hmm. and then seeing it go into production and then actually seeing it then go on the shelves what sort of timeline are we talk about here so we are it, it depends on the urgency of the product but the standard timeline is generally uh 12 to 18 months from like first pen to paper to on shelf okay and does that change? Is that the same for both the licensed cars as well for the character cars? It's still always about the same? It's about the same. I'm assuming you work in seasons of sorts that sort of fit in, right? Yes, we work in a, a spring and fall season, but the but Hot Wheels has uh, mixes that are rotating in and out all year long. Okay. And so we're designing... Uh, so we think about 12 to 18 months ahead of the mix that it's supposed to be placed in. Okay. Um, and that's the same for the licensed cars as well as the basics cars. Mm-hmm. Some of the lead time in during the design phase is that there's a little bit more, it's more intentional mm-hmm. for the licensed properties because we are going through multiple phases of approvals and this type of thing. Yeah. Uh, so we need to account for that mm-hmm. so that we can get them turned over to the plants at a predictable moment. Mm-hmm. Um, Whereas with a basic car, like we, we know when we want to get that final digital file to the plant. Mm-hmm. And the the only barrier to us designing quickly is ourselves. So we could, in theory, start that maybe uh, a little bit sh- later in the process than we would have to for a licensed vehicle Okay, uh, because of the approvals. And then how does it feel when you get to see your car on the shelf of a store? It's it's kind of weird. It's cool. And at the same time it's like, oh, wow, this is it's it's fun to see these products existing in the wild. Mm-hmm. And then is there any of your colleagues that or yours I should say that that if you're some of your favorites that you've done or that you see some of your colleagues have put together that you're like, you know what? I really really like that one. All the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. We have between, it's a pretty small team. There's maybe eight of us. Mm-hmm. And they're all super talented. So there's a handful every year. I'm like, oh, I wish I had designed that one. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, so it's cool to see. So it's a good, it keeps us inspired. Mm-hmm. And so there's a little bit of creative competition. Like, oh, who, who can do the coolest thing next? Is there any ever competition where you look on eBay and be like, oh, I see my uh, my thing is quite the uh, catch on eBay? You know what? There there wasn't until this moment, but I'm about to start bringing that up. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm going to post up a board starting Monday of the current eBay prices for all for like certain diecast ones. I'm going to start putting designers' names. Yeah. That's actually kind of a funny, a fun thing. I think so. And then is yeah. there any, I mean, so speaking of that, obviously, I just had a guest on recently who who may probably himself say he maybe buys a few too many Hot Wheels. It's common. Yeah. So, Ben, he went through the process of explaining the idea of the treasure hunt cars, the differences mm. between them. But, I mean, how how does that sort of fit into it, this, this idea of you've got the collectors for the Hot Wheels, obviously the club, I think, that's involved where mm. you can join and there's there's obviously the treasure hunt cars and there's the extra special like Hot Wheels cars that when you there's I mean that rabbit hole can go very very deep I'm guessing it, it's it go it's a deep rabbit hole and it can become kind of complex in certain ways 
which is important, right? That kind of complexity is uh, super important for right the collectors. Right? Mm-hmm. There, there needs to be something to find out. Yeah. And right, so we have our right, Hot Wheels collector, which is their kind of our premium vehicles, uh, and we release special cars for them every few weeks, every month. Yeah. And then the treasure hunts are are an interesting. Uh, not anomaly they're like these mystical kind of cars that so we'll ship them in our standard we'll ship them with our basics mm-hmm. shipment right? yeah. so they just in theory they could end up on shelf with all of our regular dollar cars yeah like a Target Walmart mm-hmm. 99 cents to wherever you buy them yep and the I guess the giveaway is so they're going to have a little bit different finish different wheels a more premium wheel, mm-hmm. but there's still a dollar. And there's a. I think at the moment what we're doing is a small treasure hunt logo yeah, that's behind TH. the car. Yeah. Which you need to. Some people can just like look at the car and say, "Oh, that's it," because mm-hmm. right? you can see the wheels are different. Um, some the rubber wheels, I understand. That yeah. Correct? Yeah. What Albert mentioned. Yeah, hey, I believe. I, I believe they're all rubber wheels. I could be mistaken. They might not all have the real rider tires, but mm-hmm. I think that they do. Yeah. Um, so that there's that, right? So if you if you don't know what you're looking for, you might not really recognize it. the The challenge is, from what I understand, right? I'm in kind of a lucky position, so I can we can order them, and I can say, oh, look, there, there's I have access to them. Yeah. But if I were trying to catch them in the wild. Whether it's the people that work at the stores or, or or do the ordering or whatever, they have access to the boxes first. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, if they're savvy to it, they'll go through the boxes prior to putting any out on the shelves and they'll snag them for themselves. Yeah. So there's that challenge, right? So the, the likelihood that you'll find them in sh- uh, on stores or on shelves – Depends on how avid the people stocking are and how mm-hmm. in the know they are. Yeah. So, th- so let's say that you know those folks and y- whatever. Somehow you've gotten in with them and you have a connection. Yeah, a hookup. You've got you've got the hookup. Mm-hmm. There's still the challenge that we don't send them out that often. I, I don't. Uh, I'll have to find out. Unfortunately, I don't know offhand what the the ratio is. Like, all right, so is there one per? per shipment is mm-hmm. there one for case per case pack or is it you know one per hundred i don't know but not every shipment has a treasure hunt okay from what i understand okay i see so it's hit or miss yeah right so but so that that kind of uh sh- sh- strategy i guess makes it it keeps you've got to be constantly looking for the thing because you never know and then also I think you have like obviously internal cars that probably don't ever get released that often for like maybe special events or whatnot yeah yeah so we have uh, what do they call them like there's toy fair cars Mm -hmm. and employee cars for employee events and every once in a while there's one there's an uh, there's a Spectra Flame orange Porsche that was a I think it was a toy fair car or uh, an employee car. Mm-hmm. Somebody found one that's online for about a thousand dollars. Well, yeah, I mean, I've got another guest of the podcast, Rod Chung, who had his candy cane gasser. Yeah, and said that was kind of an expensive car. I, I can imagine that it was. Yeah, because that was that was like a Christmas one or something, Christmas party car or something. Yeah, I don't know how we got that car. Right, look, yeah. I'm just saying, 
Yeah, yeah, found its way. Yeah, I'm sure he had to pay a pretty penny for it. Um, but yeah, there's a hand. Every year, there's a handful of cars that are more exclusive and aren't supposed to hit the market. Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, they, they and do. The, but those would still be all designed by you and the rest of the team, then. Mm-hmm. Okay. So some of the so the original castings, you know, varies depending on who. There's no set person that designs those castings mm-hmm. for the special cars. Yep. But then our graphics team, we have four or five guys on the graphics team that really just knock those out and they take extra time to, to design like the candy cane mm-hmm. deco. It's just real cool. Yeah. It's it's a super, cool super cool car. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so there's, they put a lot of time and effort into those for this really limited uh, production. Yeah, because I mean, they're not making too many of them. Right? No, no, not at all. Yeah, Otherwise, that, it wouldn't be that collectible. Right? True. <laughs> There's maybe a couple hundred that they end up making, mm-hmm. and it's essentially just for the company. So it's super limited runs, and I think that we'll every once in a while we'll release something like that on our collectors platform. That's a really limited run. Mm-hmm. Uh, not so often, but uh, that does happen occasionally. And then, can you give us any tips or whatever that you're working on that's maybe coming out we might see in the near future? Oh man! So we're thinking about currently. We're thinking about 2021, mm-hmm. right? So we've already wrapped up things that are coming out this upcoming year, and so we just came off of our 50th anniversary, mm-hmm. which was last year. Mm-hmm. So the challenge now is developing freshness and, and keeping momentum going forward. Yep. So we we do have big things in the works, and they're still fairly nebulous mm-hmm. at the moment but what i will say is that if there's anything that people would love to see uh reach out yeah all right so they can find us uh most of the designers they can find us on instagram mm-hmm. right? we all have different accounts and we're pretty easy to access through the magic of social media right. so if there's you know if we can all keep track if if myself or mark jones or uh, brendan vitusky or, or dima if they, if we keep hearing the same type of groundswell and this, the ask for, oh, we need to see this car or whatever, any interesting ideas of you know, what if you did this or you know, we're open to that mm-hmm. and and we can certainly make adjustments for that if there are things that people want to see. But as far as what we're specifically already planning on, I can't share That's that. That's all right. I understand. I understand. Yeah. But that, before I was going to to get into your Instagram details and whatnot, what is it the feeling like when you get to see a car that you take from uh, 164th scale? They're like, for example, a basic car, but then the actual mm-hmm. Hot Wheels like will commission someone to build it to full scale. Mm-hmm. What's I mean, that must be kind of cool as well when you see it go through that way. That's a whole nother beast. Yeah. And it's it's super cool. So recently, uh, I had the pleasure to work on one of the last full-size monster trucks that we did with Monster Jam. Okay. Right? It was the, the Hot Wheels uh, monster truck. A mm-hmm. little bit different process uh, than building a you know a full-scale drivable like a street car. Mm-hmm. But that we have a lot of fun with those, right? So we uh, we will find different uh, local builders. We have a handful that we work with, mm-hmm. and. We essentially set up a war room for some of these larger processes, and we get the whole team involved, and we start going through different themes, and our, what are we trying to accomplish with this car? Now, we're a little bit overdue for the next full-scale build, mm-hmm. so I'll say that. Okay. Um, so, but our process for that is, you know, it's really team-intensive, and we're all working together to try to get these cars developed, and then once we start building, 
then it, you continue to refine uh, certain elements, right? Things that you maybe didn't see prior, or uh, then we're working with the builders to really get everything right. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole different set of things, right? You're out there with the fold with the tape lines to make sure that the, the lines are right on the car. and uh, But that's a cool experience. Yeah, I can yeah. imagine. We'll be seeing it go from that, Obviously, you creating a design to see you getting the car made at 64th scale, then seeing it go from being 64th up to like full scale. Yeah. And then the only big thing is how often they let you get to drive them there. You're like, look, I created this. Look, I know you built it, but look, without my brains, you couldn't have this thing. So you better let me in there. It's true. Um, I've had the pleasure to sit in a handful of them, <laughs> but I haven't actually taken any. Uh, for for any length of time or at speed anyway. Yeah. No, I was going to say maybe that I mean I can understand obviously they do drive around the car park because some of them might not be the best out in the roads. Some of them. Some of them may not I be. I mean, let's just say them not for saying drive quality, I'm saying they might not have the right number of indicators. Let's be honest about oh, that. They don't, or, or poor visibility because yeah. you have engines where, where you would be I mean, be look, looking. if you've got an X-Wing fighter, I mean, do you really need indicators in an X-Wing fighter? No, not really. I mean, I mean if you've got Darth Vader's like thing, do you really need? No. No, just this additional weight that's just going to slow you down. Exactly. Yeah, you don't need any of that nonsense. I mean, you might need that in the monster trucks because to crush other cars with that extra weight, but still you need that flex. But I mean, True. now we're doing the backflips with them, so you need them. Yeah, so there's a, there's a fine balance with the monster trucks yeah uh, yeah weight savings and making sure that everybody knows where you're going exactly but was with that being the case and Tyler, where's the best place for people to find you on instagram then so they can find me at charade design okay uh, and it's s-h-a-r-a-y design okay and so i do little d design exercises there and just post my personal work there yeah. um, but if there's anybody that has any input or would like to yeah, share ideas or whatever that's a great place just send a DM and then obviously you've got to shout out for your employer so where's the best place to find information out on Hot Wheels so you're going to go to or you can go to Hot Wheels Official on Instagram or Mattel.com uh -huh. yeah, and that, that those are the channels and the paths will lead you where you need to go look at that it's all magic and then obviously for tips on trying to find those straight hunch, look they're just going to come to you now they stop asking me they might um, I can't promise any any hot tips, but it's worth a shot. Look, it's all you can do. That's but, it. But, Tyler, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Really appreciate it. Likewise. Thank you so much. And uh, as always, people, please leave us a generous five-star review. We know it's out of five, but we always say start with ten. Roll it back if you need to. Yeah, definitely. Um, we always like to get messages, so you can find us at No Breaking on Instagram and Facebook. That's N-O. B-R-A-K-I-N-G and if you want to hear more about the guests or anything like that if you've got questions just let us know but otherwise thank you always for listening and uh, we'll see you guys next week and thanks again Tyler alright guys bye bye <laughs>